Today's show is sponsored in part by InterOptic. Fortune 500 companies choose InterOptic optical transceivers to minimize the risk of network failures and maximize IT savings. InterOptic's transceivers are 100% guaranteed compatible with Cisco, Juniper, Extreme, Arista, and others, and available at a fraction of the cost. Work with the optics experts at InterOptic. Go to interoptic.com packet pushers to find out more. Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 128-bit address space wormhole. Quick reminder, there's sponsorship opportunities for IPv6 Buzz and all the other Packet Pusher podcast shows. So if you're interested, you can hit packetpushers.net slash sponsorship for details. Uh, if you got something cool working with v6, we want to hear from you. So hey, reach out and we'd love to be able to chat. I'm Ed Horley with my co-host Tom Coffey and Scott Hogan. Today, we're going to be talking about, I guess we're going to be talking about host OS and a little bit about how they behave with different RAs. Uh, we've had a bunch of listener questions that are sort of related to this around, I guess, how and what addresses actually get assigned on hosts and how does that happen and which ones are used and why. And and to be honest, it's a, it's a big area of like confusion, <laughs> even amongst V6 professionals <laughs> about what actually happens on a host operating system. And partially it's because I don't think it's uh, it's it's something that's covered particularly well out there. Uh, there's been a lot of changes, and uh, if you're reading early material, pr- probably the only thing you ever read was a UI64 written <laughs> right yeah, up. Exactly, it can be really confusing because I'm just thinking of the perspective of you know it's like you just do an IP config or an if config, and you see all these addresses and and they look very different and they're labeled very differently, and you're like, what is going on here? Which one gets used, and why do I have all these addresses? And I might be helpful to clear up some of that confusion for for folks that are either new to ipv6 or as you say if they've been looking at material that's 10 years old they're like this is not an eui 64 address what's going on here right. yeah right. and host operating systems vary uh, right. an apple mm-hmm. mac yep. may be different than an ios or a windows 10 or windows 11 and, or and how they label the different Linux address types machine. right Mm-hmm. Yeah, they all label them there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's going so on? It's not because yeah, like it's in terms of like they they have like some of them do like a prefix or uh, origin, mm-hmm. so it tells you like, hey, is this is this coming from a router advertisement or is it from a DHCPv6? Even though they're even though the distinguisher is really not not DHCPv6 versus router advertising because you're still getting that information from a router advertisement. So, That's right. So, so it's just, a, these are the the attributes of, of the router advertisement about whether it's telling you to self-provision an address like with Slack versus saying like, hey, you should go get it from something that assigns it to you, which is DHCPv6. But um, yeah, I mean, where, where do we want to start? What makes the most sense in terms of, I guess, I guess what makes the most sense is when you turn your host operating system on and you're not connected to a network, do you actually get an address? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. That's right. That, that would be the best place to start, I guess, because that that's sort of the the the, the easiest sort of define. And the answer is yes. You get an address on on mm-hmm. all your related network interfaces that are that are up and operational, assuming that you don't have them, you know, shut down. Like, and, and let's not skip past the excitement that that the network folks feel about getting a valid layer three address without actually having to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so this so this address is 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 part of the first address family. It's a it's their link local address, and that's a, those are those are those addresses you're going to see on your host that start with fe80. Um, I guess that's the easy way. I mean, we're technically by the RFC, it's fe80 colon colon slash ten, but mm-hmm. I don't think I've seen a single implementation <laughs> has a slash ten in it. It's always set up as a sixty four. Mm-hmm. Um, so you always see fe80 colon colon, and then 
whatever that lower 64 of, of address space happens to be. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and that's, that's an address that gets provisioned on your system. And uh, I think for all the modern operating systems, correct me if I'm wrong on this one, Scott, but you know, link local, this is just a randomly generated address for you. Yeah, so it, good. I guess it could be, you know, the modified EY64, if you've got maybe an older Linux system or some older right. Linux kernel, uh, or a really old, uh, you know, Windows XP computer or something yeah, like it's that. It's really uh, old and Windows hasn't done this yeah. in ages. So and yeah. Apple, Apple does the same thing. They just do a, a randomized, you know, address mm -hmm. that it builds for that, you know. How do I know address. if I've got an EUI64 address? Well, that's a good question because, um, you know, there's, there's, it's, it's, it's really has to do with EUI 64 was built around the idea of saying we, we needed, we needed the lower 64 to be, be able to map something out predictably and, and what's predictable on a, on a, on, on an OS with an, with a network interface, well, it's got a Mac address associated with it. And so you're going to see portions of your Mac address that are replicated in there. It's basically the 48 bits of the Mac address, and then you split it down the middle. So you know, and, uh, and, and you stuff a FFFE in the middle of it. Um, and then there's a, a global and local bit, which is really sort of the second bit that, that can, that can get toggled. If it's already toggled, then you don't need to. And if it hasn't been, it will, mm -hmm. uh, to indicate that it's local. So you want to say, you want to basically so, set. So basically local. if I see that FFFE in the middle of the address, then pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Unless yeah. you got a, unless you got a, a jerk instructor like me who, who goes and builds addresses with FFFE in the middle, <laughs> just to mess with people. <laughs> That's just evil. Ed. That's mean. That's mean. Some people just want to see the world burn. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it, but the point the point being is that it's it's you can't assume by seeing FFFE that it is a UI a modified UI sixty four address. If you just want to be you know malicious and mess with people, you can absolutely just build a manual address and stick FFFE in the middle and make it look like a well known MAC address, and you could absolutely make it look like an UI sixty four. That would be a horrible mistake on the part of the of the user to just assume that that was correct. Yeah, and for, and for the math geeks out there, they can calculate the probability of an FFFE showing up randomly in the middle of an address. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's not high probability. So when you do see it as a general rule of thumb, unless you got someone messed up like me, um, you can you can assume that it's a, in a UI 64 and a modified US, UI 64. Mm -hmm. There's no right. non-modified UI 64 that I'm aware of that's that's produced out there. I mean, Scott, I don't right. know if you've seen anything that does not do modified UI 64. It's it's pretty no, much almost that. everything. It flips that seventh bit. Right. So seventh it makes a, a, the first hex digit from a zero to a two, two or something like yeah. that. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So you're going to see that. And if it's already, it's already related as a two, then it's just leaves it alone. So it doesn't touch it. Um, so you're always going to see that as a, effectively local is what it's saying. Mm -hmm. It's not a global property. It's, this is local to the interface. And, uh, and the weird thing about um, uh, for any given reason, if this does come up, um, if you've got multiple interfaces on your machine, and you probably do, if especially if it's a laptop, you probably have a wired and a, and a wireless. It is possible to assign the exact same link local address on both interfaces, which freaks people out because you know when you talk about v6, it's supposed to be you know, glo you know globally unique. But no, link local is is only is only you know exactly that. It's localized to the link, and so you need additional piece of information. Um, uh, to identify which interface you're actually talking about. So mm -hmm. if like your wireless interface is 25, you're going to see a little percent sign and then the number 25 after it 
uh, representing that interface identifier. Now it could be something separate. If you're on, you know, Linux, it could be a, you know, EN zero or ETH zero or, you know, whatever ENS, you know, 25 or, you know, whatever craziness that Linux is doing at any given moment assigning addresses. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're going to see something after that. And that's normally referred to as, as either a scope or zone ID um, uh, for a particular interface so that you know which one to, to sort of set this direct traffic out of. Right? Yeah, they're link locally scoped. <laughs> so they're scoped or unique only to that link. Uh, right. So only on VLAN 100, you can only have one FE80, blah, 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 FFFE, blah, blah, blah. You know? And right. so all traffic originated from that address. The packets are sent with a hop count of 255. Most of the neighbor discovery messages do use 255 as the hop limit. And that indicates that it should not be forwarded. Right. So right. Th that traffic is not to leave that link. So just right. you and whatever else is on that link, you and your closest mm -hmm. friends. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so correct. it kind of there there's an RFC about um, using link local only addressing for some isolated seg segmentation, micro segmentation type purposes. And yeah, the the security property you get is that no one off link can communicate with those nodes if they're using their link local only addresses. And link local addresses are valid unicast addresses. Mm -hmm. So you can send unicast traffic one to one on between two nodes on, you know, that segment uh, to each right. other. Right, you don't need any. So basically they can come up and, and discover each other. I think most importantly uh, for those that are on the networking space side, hey, this is important, um, is, is you're going to see actually, you know, routing protocols come up and establish neighbor adjacencies with link local addresses, right? Because they're on link, you, if they are, are capable of doing that, they can they can come up and, and basically start, you know, multicasting out and discover each other. And Right, and you're like, hey, I haven't even configured an address yet. What's going on here? Right, exactly. And they, they can exchange routes and, and do all sorts of interesting things, assuming that you got the basic uh, setup, setup on the routers on either side, they can use link local addresses to be able to do that, which is, totally different than what we think about with v4 unless we do those stuff explicitly before it's a little yeah. different yeah um yeah rfc 7404 we'll put that in the show notes okay cool cool and then you know uh, this is the other strange thing about about link local addresses you know we haven't plugged anything into the network yet so there's no possibility for an ra right so there's no router advertisement happening mm -hmm. on the wire mm -hmm. this is strictly a, just a host operating system and a, and a network network you know if you got a router it's going to do the same thing or a switch mm -hmm. that's got an interface it's going to do the same thing mm -hmm. um so it's it's possible to to have all this stuff sort of stood up and, and not have any router advertisements on the network at all uh this would just work and if you're using something like mdns or you know local multicast name resolution or some other name uh discovery protocol uh you can use link local addresses and if you're mm -hmm. on the same network you're going to discover each other and be able to just like scott said you can unicast traffic back and forth to each other which is is how you know apple does things like airplay and, and other and other protocols that can use mm -hmm. that on the same local wire with no yeah. global oh, unicast address one other thing about the link local address before you can your host can start to use that link local address it has to do duplicate address detection mm -hmm. to prove to itself that it's unique and no one else on that lan segment is using that same link local address so Hosts send out a neighbor solicitation address embedded in it, you know, as the low order 
bits of its link local address, unicast address that it intends to use. And if it doesn't hear back a neighbor advertisement, then duplicate address detection succeeded. And it can then proceed to ask ask, uh, or send other messages like a router solicitation. But that's the very first IPv6 packet a host sends is Mm -hmm. a a neighbor solicitation. (laughs) And that's a, a unique thing about that first, very first neighbor solicitation, because you don't have an address, your neighbor solicitation is sourced from all zeros. Yeah. That's one of the very few times I think you'd see a packet leaving with a source address of all zeros because the host <laughs> doesn't have an address yet. So it says, right. I don't have a source address, but I'm just checking. Is anyone else out there? Is it, is it good to use this address, which is, you know, right. one, yeah. you know, your, your one over uh, two to the 64th chance. Of <laughs> well, right. And that's why we have, now we have to harken back to fifties uh, primetime television and talk about optimistic dad. Yeah. Optimistic. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean that's that's <laughs> that's something the Windows put in place is is optimistic dad, which basically said like the likelihood that we're going to use the same link local mm-hmm. address or even the same global unicast address if I'm self provisioning with Slack or anything else, like I, the likelihood that we're going to have a collision is so infinitesimally small. I'm just going to start using the address to do stuff, and I will do a check. You know, I will definitely you know I'll I'll, I'll be a good citizen and I'll check to to see if the the address is in use, but mm-hmm. um, but I'm not going to make that my priority. I might, I might do a couple other things beforehand, like maybe try and get my authentication done beforehand or something like that. Yeah. And you're, and you'll also see, you know, some devices coming with duplicate address detection turned off. Mm -hmm. Many, many commercial grade firewalls now turn off, you know, duplicate address detection. They don't want anything else to tell them their address is something other than what they have been statically configured to use. And they don't want to be fooled by, you know, rogue (laughs) neighbor advertisements. Yeah, responses that basically right. say, "Don't use that. Don't use that. Don't use that." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the hacker's choice. Right. Yeah, the hacker's choice attack toolkit. Uh, DOS new IP six. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, fun, it's, it's fun to is, play on your friends. Yeah. <laughs> so well, this is, and this this is sort of true for um, regardless of whether it's global unicast, ULA, or link local. These properties are are true for this in terms of the duplicate address yeah, detection right. process, right. and 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 for Windows optimistic duplicate address deduction. Um, those are, those are, those are those sets of properties. I, what, what else, I, I guess let's plug our computer into the network, whether that's Wi-Fi or whether that's a wired port and we're going to s- expect to see a set of behaviors for our host to be able to acquire some addresses, right? Is that the next logical step or that's is right. there something in between? No, that's right. And then uh, the, the first thing the host is going to see, um, hopefully, if, if it's planning on doing any browsing, is uh, a router advertisement. Yeah, I mean, usually the first time up on link, right, you're going to send out a, a, a router solicitation like right away. Um, that's right. So you're going you're yeah. to proactively ask for information from the link that you've plugged right. into. Yeah. Yeah. The first time you join up, you're just going to see it like, Hey, give me an address <laughs> <laughs> and yell on the wire. Um, and, and hope for, uh, hope for someone first for some sort of response, assuming that there is an, an actual router set up on, right. on the network. And that's the thing, even if you don't ask you're if there is one, then you're going to see a router advertisement because that's, that's going to happen periodically from whatever router is actually, or more than one router that's connected to the link. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then that interval can, can vary like normally Cisco routers, other routers may send out 
send it out every 200 seconds, but you don't want to wait 200 seconds. If you're in AWS, RAs come out every 10 seconds. So, right. and the RA interval could be set by the router. Yeah. And, and, and there's different reasons to do this. Uh, it really has to do with what you're like, for the example, in, in AWS, right? They want you to be able to get the address much much mm -hmm. more quickly uh, in terms of performance characteristics than sitting around and waiting. Uh, but there are reasons that you might want to have stuff run faster or slower. I think those are, and that's probably getting down in the weeds of stuff, stuff we don't want to cover here, but, <laughs> um, but let's, let's talk about it. So from a router advertisement basis, what properties do we actually have in there that, that sort of help determine what the host is going to get? Um, I guess that's the, the quick and dirty is sort of like, yeah. We have. And I guess I would, I, I would, I would contextualize it by saying, We've we've got uh, a, an address already, but we it's not a, a sufficient address for us to do any networking beyond the local link. So yes. so we're really talking about needing an address that has a different scope than a link local address. And so then we can talk about the the address types that are differently scoped in IPv6, and and of course the primary one is the global unicast address, um, and that's the one that's going to allow us to do you know our our browsing and get out on the network and, and do the things that we want to do. Yeah, I mean that's that's the principal one that you're going to see most commonly. I mean, there is the additional ULA address space that's available. Um, really advise against using it. I, I pretty pretty much think at this point. Ooh, so, hiss. Yeah, it's not really very functionally <laughs> useful. Um, there's there's some narrow use cases for it, but I just skip over it for for most of that. You can listen to our ULA and. ULA is bad show or whatever, but uh, <laughs> so three ways to ruin your life with ULA. <laughs> Tom always says there's more than three. <laughs> we interrupt this podcast for a brief word from Packet Pusher sponsor Interoptic. Interoptic has been the trusted optical transceiver supplier for many federal, state, and local government networks and Fortune 500 companies. They provide friendly, U.S.-based, OEM-agnostic networking expertise to help you choose the best optics and fiber to future-proof your networks at the lowest cost. Why continue to pay OEM prices for optics? Talk to the experts who will deliver brand-equivalent transceivers at a fraction of the cost. Interoptic can help you and your team create a more nimble physical layer. Their optical transceivers are guaranteed 100% compatible with Cisco, Juniper, Extreme, Arista, and other switches. Interoptic physically tests every single transceiver before it's shipped, and their transceivers are built to the exact same quality standards as the OEMs and typically come from the same manufacturing lines. That means you can purchase the same, if not better performing, optical transceivers tested and designed by engineers who truly understand the specifications critical to your network at a fraction of OEM costs. It's time to take control of your optics purchases with Interoptic. Find out how at interoptic.com slash packet dash pushers. That's interoptic.com slash packet dash pushers. And now back to the conversation. Let's talk about the global unicast address. It's, it's going to be some sort of globally scoped address. It usually starts with a two. Uh, it's 2000 uh, so range set up to the 3000 range set in the beginning uh, for the for the first initial portion of the address. You see, we haven't started assigning anything out of the 3000s yet. So you're only going to see 2000s. And, and it's, uh, it's common that you see something like, you know, a, 2600 or uh, you know something of that nature that you're going to see pop up uh, as an actual address although sitting squatting right there in the middle of that block is the documentation range so you do yeah 2000 <laughs> 2001 db8 colon colon slash 32 is a documentation prefix range so if you see that 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 means that you, someone has set up your your address range in, in, in the documentation range and you're not going to get anywhere <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> yeah um, um, it's, so you, you have a couple of different ways for the host to be assigned an address. And these are properties of the router advertisement, not of the host. 
right? So I just want to make this really clear. It's not like the host gets to decide whether it uses DHCP or whether it uses Slack or whether it uses something else, um, unless it doesn't have the DHCP v6 client running on it, for instance, or something of that nature that would determine, uh, um, you know, whether it could or couldn't. But the reality is, is that the router advertisement is, is set up to be able to pass a certain sort of, you know, hey, these are the parameters of how I want you to provision an address on yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, uh, and it's going to it's going to give you the prefix, right? And that's really the the primary piece of information. And I think it's probably useful to remind the audience that you've got the sixty four bits of the the prefix space that, that's defining the network that you're connected to, and then of course you have the sixty four bits of the interface identifier. Mm-hmm. And so that's the, if you if you look at the RA, it's providing you a prefix from that that first 64 bits and it's giving you some suggestions about how it wants you to configure the second 64 bits of the iid suggestions <laughs> some, some, <laughs> some friendly <laughs> suggestions yeah i mean it's and then, and then uh part of part of the other side of that is that it's um uh, that that lower 64 when, when when Tom mentioned the interface identifier it's, it's the other way that that's you'll see that reference is the iaid or yeah, the <laughs> the IID. <laughs> There's so many acronyms that, that you'll see occasionally popping up here and there, and so people will shortcut that one. But the interface identifier is really that that lower 64 bit, and that's what's important in terms of sort of understanding what's going on uh, with your local hosts. And Tom's exactly right. It's it's really we're we're giving you the information about hey, should you be getting your lower 64 from DHCP from a DHCP server? Should you be getting it and generating it locally yourself and using using the method on the host operating system to do that, uh, as as Slack would allow you to do? Uh, I think those are the you know sort of the two major ways that mm-hmm. uh, that are allowed. And um, I don't know, maybe we should talk about how. How maybe the, there's different methods and thought processes about how to provision that stuff. Um, yeah, maybe. because we started off with the EUI 64, and of course, that's really not what you're going to see. You're not going to see yeah, you're not 60, gonna, yeah, a modified yeah, EUI 64. Yeah. yeah, it's not common to see that anymore. So Slack has a bunch of different methods that you can utilize for for sort of building an address, and, and a modified EUI 64 was sort of the first one out of the gate. Um, and then you've got, you've got, you know, different methods that you can utilize most of the major operating systems today just randomly build uh, a a permanent address and they just build that lower 64 make sure that you know it's got to point it out that we don't have any you know collisions uh, so it'll do a duplicate address space detection uh, do a dad and then and then you're off to the races to be able to use that address but it's a it's a randomly generated one that is a permanent address as opposed to a temporary address. Now, why would I, why, why would that matter? I mean, I like, so what's, it seems to me like a, an EUI 64, modified EUI 64 is perfectly good. Um, uh, it, you know, I, now all of a sudden I've got this randomly generated address and, and why do I need that? That doesn't really make any sense to me if I'm new to IPv6 perhaps. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, are, are you talk, are you talking about for EUI sixty four? Why maybe the, the, the at least why we moved away from that and moved to uh, randomly generating an address? Is that, is that the, yeah right? I mean, what what so EUI sixty four works perfectly well. Why do I need a randomized address? Um, yeah. So uh, I guess I guess originally there were some thoughts about some security concerns around EUI sixty four modified EUI sixty four that. Because it's associated with a MAC address, um, you could follow an address as it moves from different prefixes. So if I'm at home and I'm on my, 
you know, Comcast or I'm on my spectrum or whatever else, my lower 64 is going to be the same when I go to the office and I connect with the exact same Wi-Fi interface, even though the upper 64 is different. And so in theory, you could track me with my lower 64 because it would stay, stay quote unquote stable, right? It would be consistent uh, over time, regardless of whichever network I'm on. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Know, cellular network, EUR 64, it would, all, it would always be the same. Uh, I don't know if that's really that big of a concern, given the fact that you have cookies to track people and everything else. I mean, it's like, but but they decided to you know be prudent and uh, and and felt it was important to 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 say like we don't want that tracking mechanism there, so we want the host operating systems to randomize their address. Yeah, and and the they in this case being the IETF. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it was a it was an effort on the IETF side to to recognize that that was a structural problem and and didn't and wanted to to you know put the option in the operator's hands. You can still do EUI sixty four, mm-hmm. and in fact. Most networking devices, um, if you've got a router or a switch and you first, you know, stand up uh, an interface, um, you're going to notice that majority of those actually do UI64 for their link local addresses. And if you just pass them a straight RA and say self-provision an address, they'll build it as an UI64. Mm-hmm. Unless that's changed substantially, I don't think most of the time I see most of them build the UI64 addresses still. Um, well, and then also, if you think about the operational environment, it, it makes a difference if I, you know, obviously I'm maybe more concerned about privacy if I'm at home and my, you know, or using a device that's connected to a home network or, you know, a a wireless access point at a coffee shop, say, but that's very different than being in an enterprise environment where I have, you know, there's, there's no assumption that I have any sort of privacy or that, you know, my device isn't being tracked in multiple ways uh, up, up to and including the, the IPv6 address and the interface identifier on it. So, so there is a little bit of that contextual conflict between what environment you're operating in and whether or not it's necessary to have, you know, a, a randomized address. But of course, the the host operating systems that are running an enterprise are, are getting these randomized uh, interface identifiers. Um, so, so there may be, maybe there's a little bit of an operational model conflict in, in that regard with. Yeah. Yeah. Cause some, you know, high security networks may actually push out a policy that disables privacy addressing in favor of EUI 64. Let's say it's a government furnished equipment laptop and it is using its MAC address as part of its authentication and the method it gets access to the network uses a, you know, that device's specific MAC address. Right. So they're it's already probably, hard coding it in some way. So right. they wanted and, to and use probably, EUI 64 for forensic purposes, traceability. Yeah, and and more than likely, if they have to access something external, they're going through a proxy anyway. So that address disappears. <laughs> never is never exposed to the. Uh, it's fully proxied. It's application proxied. So it doesn't. The only thing that goes out is is the is the proxy address, not the actual host address at that point. So it doesn't really matter. Right. Um, right. For those scenarios, but we, those are the you know the random address on on the host is 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 permanent. Mm-hmm. So that, that I, I want to sort of be clear about this because this gets a little confusing because there's this whole concept of permanent and temporary addresses, right? Or privacy and temporary, right? It's, yeah, because if I do a if I do an if config en zero on my Mac laptop here at home, I, I see that I see that uh, secured address right away. And so I'm like, okay, now I know what these guys are talking about. Here's a here's something that's not an EUI 64 because it's not my hardware address and it doesn't have an FFFE in the middle of it. Um, it so it looks randomized to me, and it says secured it's labeled as secured but then immediately below that i have another address and these are these are both global unicast addresses they start off with my cox prefix of 2600 8800 
directly below that though, I have a temporary address. And so why do I need both a secured and a temporary address? What, what's going on there? Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is, this is the part that's challenging because, um, the idea behind a permanent address that you would have associated with your, with your host is, is designed as something that could actually register in DNS, right? You could actually mm -hmm. take that address, register in DNS. Let's say you have Active Directory integrated DNS and you want your host to register that address so that, you know, some other device can find it. Uh, you, you need it to remotely admin the device or something else of that nature. You want a permanent address to be registered in there. Uh, it could be randomized. So it's a, and that's that's typically referred to as a privacy address. Mm -hmm. It's been randomized, but it is a permanent address that's associated with that particular host. And that will stay consistent over reboots and over time, it'll 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 consistently use that address and it'll it'll that's the one that'll register in DNS. And then you have the whole concept of temporary addresses, which are ones that the host operating system you know builds randomly uh, for itself um, and does a duplicate address detection check. But it expires it. Um, I think Windows is what, like eight hours or something that it'll use an address and then just expire it out. And that one's designed for, you know, web surfing or for going out and accessing resources external uh, out on the public internet, things mm -hmm. of that nature. So it's not about connecting to you as a host, you know, your client laptop for someone to push an active directory policy onto or something like that is designed for you to connect to the outside world. And then you know, you may have a longer flow session that's going on through it for some reason. Maybe you've got an SSH session open that you're just leaving open, but uh, eventually that will time out. So it'll, it'll sit there. So you may get, you know, three, four, five addresses, depending on how long you're sitting there holding onto a SSH yeah. session right? yeah. <laughs> or something like that. Those older ones may say deprecated in parentheses next to yes. them. If you're yeah. doing your IP config slash all, you'll yeah. see that. It must mean there's, yeah, a, a legacy long-lived TCP session that's keeping that address available. But as soon as that right. session, you know, terminates, then it'll move over to one of the other yep. temporary mm -hmm. addresses for making outbound connections. Yeah, looking yep. at my output here, I've got two deprecated addresses. I'm mm -hmm. going to go ahead and assume that one of those is being used to, to, for this the uh, Zoom session that I'm recording with <laughs> 6 buzz over. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, but so yeah, so is the is the wording the same then in the Windows OS? So I, I no. have <laughs> I knew the answer, of course, but <laughs> so yeah, what am so I going to see if I'm on a Windows host? Well, it, it, what's worse is that it's it's different depending on how you're displaying it. If you're displaying it in PowerShell, you're going to see like a, a, a route advertised uh, interface. Let me see without without putting that in as a table. Let me take a look here real quick and. And see what it actually listed as because it's this is this is the part that's that's sort of infuriating about 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 the site is that it's every single os you know decides that they want to mm -hmm. you know produce slightly different answers in terms of how they want to um to label this stuff yeah so different language to describe the same same address types or yeah yeah. yeah yeah it's 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 a little strange i mean it's it's not um I and mean, you can figure it out but it's like you know you're going to see things like a prefix origin and a suffix origin for dhcp that's going to be mm -hmm. listed as dhcp so that one's pretty straightforward mm -hmm. that's uh, i don't think that changes much in terms of the route uh advertisement side that's that's pretty consistent i don't know scott if you've seen anything different around around that one no that's yeah 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 and then the, the, what I typically see is I'll see ones listed as privacy um, or some of them um, uh, I'll see listed as permanent. So I'll see privacy or permanent and then uh, temporary is the other, is the other one that is 
pretty common to, mm-hmm. to sort of see, trying to glance through and see if they have anything else that's sort of weird. So, and, and we mentioned stable Slack at the top of the podcast. So how do I coordinate what stable Slack is with what I'm seeing on my interface output? Mm. Stable Slack, it, it, it'll look apparently random because mm-hmm. it's, it's a function that uses, you know, like a SHA hash of several different values mm-hmm. and stable slack is stable within that subnet so as long as you're connected to vlan 100 mm-hmm. you'll have a certain interface identifier that's a function of that prefix your interface you know your interface number and a few other things mm-hmm. if you go to vlan 200 you'll have a different uh interface identifier but if you come back to vlan 100 then it'll be stable, but within VLAN 100. So right. kind of stable Slack tries to, you know, get that right balance between randomizing it and preserving privacy of the end user on that computer versus manageability and having something that is stable that we can log that we know about and maybe is something we could do like network-based vulnerability scanning against. Right. Yeah. And then the other thing that's that that can cause some some problems for those that are on Wi-Fi networks with like um, like iOS, like you know, um, there's some interesting things around temporary addresses that you might <laughs> you might see behavior-wise of like uh, iOS handsets, uh, you know, iPhone, you know, hibernating, go to sleep, and come back up on the on the on the network. It's going to come up with a new temporary address every single time, right? Mm-hmm. So so you might have some exhaustion related issues. <laughs> um that that could potentially come out of that um so that's those but i I would say that covers that sort of rounds it out and covers it all i mean it's the reality is is that um uh in an enterprise environment you're probably only going to see dhcp v6 or slack is a typical sort of recommendation that you're going to normally see but that's not necessarily the case at home if you're using like comcast or you're using spectrum or, or some of the others and maybe we talk about that really quickly because they they do something that um, it's, it's, it's a little bit different um, uh, because they don't know what host operating systems are sort of operating at the, at the edge and they want to be able to make sure that everyone can get on. So they they actually turn on all all the things, right? <laughs> all the options. <laughs> yeah. The Christmas tree RA. Christmas tree RA. Yeah, I guess that's just <laughs> it's, we're, we're coming up on the season, right? <laughs> for it. Yeah, it's not officially known that. I've just said that enough that it's starting to catch on. Um, in Nmap, when you're doing a scan of a network, you might want to do a, a port scan or something with all the TCP flags set, the push, the urgent, the reset, the SIN, the ACK, you know, all the flags set. And so it's been come to be known as a Christmas tree scan. So it has all the flags set. So if you have a routing advertisement with the A, the L, the M, the O flag all set at once, telling a host to do slack and dhcp and you know and then that r you know so we call that a christmas tree routing advertisement is what yeah. i call it anyway and then you get all the addresses all of you them get all the, yeah you get all of them and then and, and and this becomes an interesting thing because we talked about this from the aspect of yeah there's a global unicast address and you're going to get one there but um you know we were we were chatting a little bit before before we jumped on on the session here to record and one of the things that's interesting is you can have multiple prefixes that are in a router advertisement. So Mm -hmm. you could technically get addresses that, you know, you could be, you could be getting, you know, that 
you know, privacy and temporary address in a global unicast with Slack and a DHCP assigned to you. And in addition, you could get that all over again for a totally different prefix, right? <laughs> um, and so you could you could end up with, you know, you got three for that first one plus link local. You're not going to reproduce another link local. So you're going to get an additional three. You're up to seven. If someone throws another prefix on there, then you're up to 10. And, and, and so this becomes very confusing uh, for folks as they're trying to sort of navigate through that. So just realize you have to pay sort of attention to realize if you're receiving multiple prefixes and you can receive uh, different prefixes across different interfaces. So if you're connected on wired and wireless and they happen to be on two different VLANs with two different networks, you're going to get addresses on both. And then you're going to have the host operating system has to just sort of determine, um, you know, which one's preferred most of the time you're going to have a preferred interface and then that that waiting for that preferred interface is going to dictate which which you know prefix is then being utilized and out of that then you have to determine if you're going to be using dhcp's uh, your slack um uh, privacy address or your slack temporary address uh, which one actually sources the traffic to send outbound <laughs> and you have to figure out between those three um, how that works i don't know that, is that good on a sort of I think we sort of covered the gambit of from from start yeah, to finish, right? I think so. I mean, we could we'll leave uh, we'll leave address selection, how those addresses actually get used by the host OS for a later episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a that's a whole episode in within itself about how that works out. And like this, which whole address do you use when you're making yeah. a connection outbound? Or? Yeah, we leave that to the listener to do <laughs> <laughs> with <laughs> our <forget> that <laughs> with our our condolences. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's not easy to figure that stuff out. It's uh, it's useful to have. I will mention uh, there's some great plugins uh, on your browser side if you if you are trying to figure this sort of stuff out. Uh, I happen to use IPv IPv Foo, uh, which is a great plugin for, for Chrome and for for Firefox. So if you if you get a chance, uh, I don't know if there's other ones. Is it is there still IPv Fox? Was that one for Firefox for a while? I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, although I think so, I use IPv4 on Firefox as well. So yeah, I use yeah. IPv4 on Firefox. So that's pretty much the one I as, as a go-to, and it's it's great because it displays everything that you're connecting to from a DNS namespace, and then displays the v4 or v6 address that's associated with it. And of course, all the v6 is listed in green because that's how it should work. That's right. <laughs> you could just run Wireshark all day long, like I do, and just capture every packet I ever send on a network. If I'm Scott, like Scott, doesn't, <laughs> Scott doesn't even use browsers anymore. He just looks at Wireshark. <laughs> cat, cat redirect to index. <laughs> he's like he's like logging into his bank account from Wireshark. <laughs> Doing scappy, you know, connect to port four four three. Yeah. Artisanally crafted packets. Yes, bespoke, bespoke <laughs> All right, we're getting punchy. <laughs> All right, well, unlike V6, we've run out of space for this podcast. You can reach the IPv6 Buzz podcast on Twitter. We're at IPv6 Buzz. And you can also hit up each one of us on Twitter too. Uh, Tom is at IPv6 Tom. Scott is at Scott Hogue. And I'm at E. Horley. Thanks for listening to the IPv6 Buzz. You can find us on the Packet Pushers or any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for IPv6 Buzz. And if you like the show, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, if you like the podcast in general, we recommend you sort of you check out Heavy Networking, Day Two Cloud, and and the Network Break podcast over uh, over at the Packet Pushers at packetpushers.net. So long, and until next time, we'll see you on the internet, the IPv6 internet, that is. Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.